Hey, I'm Paul. And I'm Christian. Welcome to I'm Dying to Tell You, inspiration shared by our mom who is dying from ALS. There is no cure for our mom or anyone else with ALS. But right now, she's on a mission to find and share stories of inspiration. Coming to you from Cincinnati, Ohio, we're happy to introduce the one lady we've both loved since the first day we laid eyes on her. The queen of the queen city, our mom, your host, Lori. Your host of I'm Dying to Tell You. Welcome. Or welcome back if you caught part one of this very special Q&A episode. I'm happy that you're back. So in this episode, I am continuing my conversation with three young adults that are living with ALS. They graciously agreed to come on and answer some questions that were sent in by you. The questions are so good. They prompted so much conversation that we decided to break it up into part one and part two. So I'm excited that you're here to listen in to the rest of the answers. All of the questions that they are answering are around living with ALS or living with a terminal illness at such a young age. I am going to be picking back up with Ashley Rivera, Mira Hudson, and James Smith. I'm going to drop in a really brief intro, but if you want to hear more, go back to episode. 77, part one of this episode, where they each go into a little bit more about their background. But in the spirit of continuing this conversation, let's go pick up with a brief intro from each of them. Hi, everyone. My name is Ashley Rivera. I'm 28. I was born and raised in the South Bronx. I was diagnosed in 2020, between 24 and 25. All right, Mira? Yes, hi, I'm Mira. I was raised in Grants Pass, Oregon. It's a little tiny town in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And um, I was diagnosed two years ago uh, when I was 24 years old, but I've had symptoms for 10 years, like roughly when I was about 15. 16, so 10 years. And so I was diagnosed two years ago. Aww. All right, James. Hello, everyone. I'm James. Uh, the weird accent is because I'm from the UK. <laughs> um, I am a married dad of three. I'm 38. And I was diagnosed nearly two years ago. Okay, thank you for the uh, very quick reintroductions. Let's go ahead and pick up with some more questions that came in. And this episode is starting off with a very heavy one. James, what is your biggest fear in life? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Oh. Wow. You're like, I, I think, didn't hear that one to I me. think 
anyone can relate to the biggest fear is probably well death sounds really hard that? but death is probably the biggest fear no one wants to die mm-hmm. but have having motor neurons disease that is the biggest fear of when mm. i think is mm. that's that's the fear is when not if or how it's just mm. when because mm. i don't no one can tell you how long you've got you know mm. I've, I've been given a a time frame but how that changes over time i don't know but yeah mm-hmm. i think it's the it's the yeah that's probably my biggest fear yeah. um and the bits that the aftermath of that is again going back to with with my kids what i can't do or potentially can't do with them as i get older and they get older that's probably the biggest fear um, yeah. or my wife helping me you know mm-hmm. so um yeah. That's my biggest fear, I think. Yeah. 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 Same. Okay. Mira, here's a question for you. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? I think what makes me feel like my best self would be overcoming obstacles or figuring out a way to do something that I have lost the ability to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Always trying to figure out how to get over that. And then once I figure it out or I get a tool that makes it so I can do it by myself, I always feel so empowered and, and I like feel like I got a piece of my independence back. So I yeah. think that that brings a lot of a lot of joy into my life when I do things like that. Because I my yeah. independence is so important to me. And so trying to adapt and figure things out and then actually being able to, which I can't do with everything, but things that I can, it, it feels really great. Yeah. And because you're so young, like, how do your friends interact with you right now? Interact with me? Yeah, like, are they comfortable? Are they, do they tiptoe around you about certain things? Do they include you? You know, I'm just curious, like, how comfortable are they with you when you, um... It matters to friends. I'd say um, I have some friends that tiptoe. I well, I only yeah. There's only not many, but there is. A, I got some tiptoers, and yeah. I try to like openly talk about it with them and try to get them to cop, you know not care. But you know, I do yeah. still have them. They still get a little scared of talking about it. And then I have that uh, just you know it's just in the piece of me because because it's been going on for so long that I think yeah. the ones that I've grown up with, I have a couple of best friends I grew up with that like watched me struggle through all the like unknown and losing things. And um, I feel like they don't treat me any differently. I get yeah. help out. They always carry my stuff for me and I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, but uh, for the most part, I feel included. I, it just matters the person, you know, a couple of friends that still yeah. are a little bit in denial about it. And that's fine. You know, I think sooner or later we'll come out of that. I try to make them as comfortable as possible about it by being comfortable myself. And I think mm. that helps a lot. Like being like, you can ask me anything and I'll tell you. And But I mean, yeah. back in the day, I used to have emotional breakdowns anytime anyone brought it up. So it's not their fault. I kind of conditioned them that way when I was going through it and didn't know right. what it was. Um, I would I would definitely like not want to talk about it. If we talked about it, I'd bawl my eyes out. So I think that I've had to train them that I've accepted myself better and I'm like, okay with it now. And so it's, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's always improving, I'd say. Yeah, that's interesting. I think people just naturally follow your lead. Mm-hmm. You know? So if you're feeling anxious and upset, 
then that would cause them yeah. to be more hesitant. Yeah. But you're so open and comfortable, and then it makes them feel better. Yeah, I think that's a huge thing with friends. Mm-hmm. I think you have to make them know that you're comfortable because I think if you're weird about it, they're going to be weird about it. If you're mm-hmm. open about it, I think it makes them a lot more open about it. So um, I, it's definitely you reciprocate. They reciprocate how you're feeling. Yeah. In a sense. Good point. Okay, Ashley, this question is, do you embrace life differently now? And if so, how? I definitely appreciate every single day for what it is. One of my best friends constantly tells me, you need to give yourself grace. You're not kind to yourself. Mm. I was never kind to myself. (laughs) But (laughs) like I was always my hardest, my toughest critic always, whether it be on the softball fields or in school. And even now with my little baby Revy, with my service dog, like, Life is tough, but I think now I the sun shines a little differently when I go outside, finally. I'm like, oh, I'm still depressed, but this vitamin D is going to kick in sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> it does eventually. Like, the sun does help. And just meeting myself where I'm at is... I think how I embrace life differently. It allows me to embrace life itself instead of just keeping in a shell Mm. and keeping to myself. I've always been loud, boisterous, (laughs) overly honest, and never, ever, ever embarrassed of myself. Yeah. Till ALS, I got a little embarrassed of how I had to do things when I had to ask for help. And how I had to do it, but now we don't care. Mm. We take life for what it is, and it just so happens that I live with ALS. So I'm meeting myself where I'm at. If this means staying home for eight days straight, because that's what my body needs mm-hmm. for me to go out on the ninth day, mm. then I do that. It's tough. It sucks, but we still have life. Mm -hmm. All four of us, we all still have life. It's just like what the question asks, how are we embracing it? And meeting myself where I'm at is the best way to, for me to embrace life. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. And this is for all of you. What do you want your friends to know about the season that you're in right now? Something they might not realize or something that's very important to you. Like, for example, I remember talking to someone and they said, I just want my friends to come over and talk to me about what we used to talk about, like basketball or whatever. Like, I just want them to come over here, grab a beer, sit down next to me, kick off their shoes and... Talk about what we used to talk about. Yeah. And I always remember that, like, yeah, you know? I don't know if anyone else has the same as what I get is as, as soon as you've been diagnosed, you just get the, I suppose no. it's like, yeah, you get the, oh, and how are you doing? And, you know, how's progression anymore? I'm like, well, it's not going to get any less, is it? No. <laughs> You're not going to get oh. better. Um, but yeah, 
it, to be fair, like the the group of friends that that I sort of see. I mean, I've known since since uh, you call it high school, I call it senior school, um, or secondary school. Is we've still got a close knit friendship group to sort of you know meet up and stuff like that. And and to be fair, they don't really talk about it. We just crack on, mm. and you know, I cannot see them for a year or two, and it'll be like a day's gone past that, that that I haven't seen them. Yeah. So um, and we just just talk about anything other than issues, really, which yeah. is good it takes your mind off it but yeah yeah i know what you mean though it's this it's finding a balance in that because you do sometimes yeah. want to talk about it yeah so we're talking about friends and i know for me one of the hardest things about being in the als community is losing so many people that i've met and since i've been here for 19 years this wall right next to me you can't see it but it's filled with photos of me and other people that I've lost, specifically to ALS. So tell me about being young in your 20s, 30s, and seeing other people lose their battle with ALS. Whether you're intimate friends with them, friends on social media, or people that you don't know but you witness that happen to. Ashley? It's a different type of of heart. I think being a part of her her ALS story, I consider myself lucky that I'm surrounded by a group of women who were all fairly the same age, if not within the same age group. Mm-hmm. And since being a part of such a dynamic, diverse, funny, mm-hmm. <laughs> insane group, I've been a part of two homegoings. So two women have lost their battle to ALS since me joining her ALS story. Mm. And I remember the first one and I bawled my eyes out. And mm. I didn't even really speak with her, but just knowing that that's the future. And knowing that it was her two-year battle and I'm nearing my, this is my third year of diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That idea hurts so bad. Mm -hmm. And that's a hurt that I just have to navigate and sort and put somewhere in my head. Unfortunately, and so sadly, move on. Mm -hmm. And that idea of moving on, like, when I go, not to sound selfish, but I want people to be sad forever. Like, cry <laughs> every day. <laughs> Miss me every day. I always, joke to my, I always joke to my wife and go, I want that song at my funeral. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's a random song. You don't want it at a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> she's not really going to play no, it. She's no, she's not, no. no. I, think what I, I think what I was going to say is, for me, seeing either friends or people that you know of in the community, like, so, um, you know, I created a Facebook group called, well, I've got a blog and I've got a website all built around the name Beyond MND. So everything that is beyond mm-hmm. MND or ALS. So um, mm-hmm. just in, in life in general. So there's a Facebook group of mine and there was a, a youngish, I think he was in his 40s and he and his wife come through and, and unfortunately he passed away. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, 
I don't want to say I'm in denial still of actually having this disease, but it's so far in the back of my mind in terms of focusing on it is it just brings it back to reality a little bit mm-hmm. when you're so close in age, when you're seeing other people lose their life to it, especially here in the UK, we've got, there's been a, an influx of especially, especially rugby players all of a similar age. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've, they've unfortunately lost their battle with it and it just brings, brings it home really. Um, yeah. That's, that's my view on it. Anyway. Mm-hmm. James explained it exactly how I feel where I'm kind of in denial and it makes it more real. And, yeah. and with her ALS story, when I think I had just joined when we lost one of ours and it just, it makes it so much more real and it's just hard mm-hmm. to see the pain of all our girls. And uh, I just, it's, it's mm. a lot. I think, I think it's hard as well because I've been sort of, given the you know the diagnosis but also given it a very slow progressive version Mm -hmm. and it seems like we're all very similar we've had like you know laurie you've had you know how long have you had als for 19 years yeah so Mm -hmm. you're above and beyond what the average is um Mm -hmm. in terms of expectancy and i think that doesn't help the situation because you're thinking oh i've got a slow version i'll I'll be all right and then you see other people Mm -hmm. go and they, you know, they they suddenly mm. disappear off the radar, and you find out mm-hmm. they've gone. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. def- definitely brings brings it home, and you know, makes it more real. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard, and for me, and I've talked to other people who have had ALS for like fifteen years or sixteen years, and we talk about survivors' guilt, you know, mm. for all of those people that we lose on a typical time frame and you know people that you come really close to so yeah it's definitely really really hard um Ashley I have that guilty feeling all the time and it's not because I've seen other young women pass away from something like this even though on those days I definitely feel like I should love life a little more because I'm still here. Mm. But then something bad happens and I go dark very fast. Mm. On those days where my hands really don't want to open even to the capacity that they can, I get dark really, really fast. And I just go, if you, and I've shouted this out loud if I'm dying so slow, just do it fast. Just like I'm yeah, ready. Yeah. Now. I'm just so tired. Mm. And mm. it's paired with a lot of cuss words. And I'm usually by myself. Or mm. My dog's usually looking up like, are you good? Like, are you just a moment, mom? And survivor's guilt comes in so many different forms. Even when friends pass away, I feel that way. When my mom is helping me in the very back of my head, I'm like, she's 50 and I'm 28. I'm a grown baby adult again. Mm -hmm. I just want it to be over so that she can live her life. Mm -hmm. And those people don't talk about those moments either enough, I feel like. And I'm happy that you brought up survivor's guilt because it is a 
It's a big little chapter in ALS and MND. I've never heard of survivor's guilt, if I'm honest. (laughs) But it makes sense. It makes sense because it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is true. You do think you are guilty. You do feel guilty. Yeah. When I, I don't go often to support group, but when I go and the turnover, unfortunately, is frequent as far as people that are there. So I feel like a lot of people are meeting me for the first time. And, you know, you go around and you say your name and how long you've had ALS. And I feel bad saying that, you know, I've had it for 19 years. And then they look at me and... You know, they're in such a d- different physical space. So it does, it makes it hard to, makes it hard. You feel guilty and lucky mm-hmm. in the same respect. Mm-hmm. And it's, a weird, it's a weird thing to navigate. Isn't yeah. it just, yeah. Yeah. Well, in that space, you feel more guilty than anything. <laughs> you know, and more sad and frustrated. And I think talking to people that's going through the same thing doesn't make you feel as guilty then. <laughs> it makes you feel more right. lucky. Yeah, you yeah. can relate to more people. Oh, like, yeah, oh. he feels it too. He feels it too. Okay, we're all together in this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we definitely, there's, um, our group has like this confessions thing for ALS story. We do confessions. Yeah. And one of the confessions I read, something like this. I resent the other women in our group that are less progressed than I, something like that. Yeah. And ever since I read that, it gave me the survivor's guilt of like another girl had told me that, she can't see my symptoms. And I was just like, I feel like, like my, what I'm going through isn't valid enough. People don't see it. And then I'm like, but I, I am, I'm doing better than you know, some of them and I should appreciate it. But then I'm also like, but I'm still going through it in my own way. You know, I don't know. Right. It's, it's definitely yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned her mm-hmm. ALS story and to my listeners, if you go back, I have talked to, Leah Stamen hanging a while ago when she first started her ALS story and had a great conversation with what motivated her to even start it. Um, and then I've talked to several of you <laughs> since then. So it's a group of women who were diagnosed with ALS under the age of 35, and they've created this great bond and community to support each other, you know, for someone that's young and women and unique things that they're dealing with so if you want to go back and check that out you'll find that in my list of episodes as well okay questions were pretty funny (laughs) what was that (laughs) they get pretty dark but there's some that are just like ah in the confessions confessions yes it's they have some funny ones (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you guys are honest, man. <laughs> yeah, too honest. <laughs> I know, like, okay, when I see something about her ALS story, always has a warning. Warning, if you are under <laughs> the age. No. <laughs> Parental advice. Uh, but hey, it's great, because you all are teaching everyone so, so much how to be resilient, and you know, with the most difficult time in your time of life that you're supposed to be doing all this other stuff instead of talking about dying and terminal illness and all that you guys are setting an example that I could have never have imagined so thank you both and and James of course thank you for being here and all that you're doing okay James 
question that came in. Were you angry when you were diagnosed? And are you angry now? Mm, I wouldn't say angry. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not angry now. It takes a lot for me to get angry. But no, I, I would say I was more gutted that it was it happened to me because you see it happened to everyone else and you think, no, it'll never, it'll never happen to me. Mm -hmm. So I think it was more of a, it was more upsetting in terms of a feeling than an anger. And it sort of made me think, well, how do I, how do I move on from it really? Um, but mm -hmm. no, I, I don't feel, I don't feel an anger to it. Mm -hmm. I suppose as time goes on, that may change. Mm -hmm. mm. But on the initial diagnosis and, you know, the first few months, I, I, no, I wouldn't say I was angry. It was more of a, again, it was it's going back to the, the guilt thing. It, it was mm. more, I felt guilty for unfortunately having this. Mm. And I mm. felt more, I felt more of a letdown rather than angry mm. um, for letting down my wife that didn't mm. sign up for that. Mm. You know, we said I do or till death to us part. She didn't think that death would be <laughs> cutting <laughs> it short. Mm. And, um, and I feel upset rather than angry that I will not be able to do things with my children that, you know, someone without it could do, you know, football matches, first dances, you know, as you call it, proms and things like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's more of a, an upsetting feeling than, uh, or a sad feeling than an angry feeling. I think yeah. if it was, ang I think it was angry. I'll be wasting a lot of energy in being angry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about emotions. How are you dealing with the mental weight of having this disease or even like dealing with anticipatory grief? So, you know, grieving of abilities, knowing what's to come or knowing what you're going to lose in the future, how are you handling that? The best way I say I, I handle it is by not thinking about it. I'm in denial most of the time. I think I live in denial to try and ride the coast of, I don't like thinking about my future. Yeah. So um, I try just to like live in the now. And I think that helps me a lot. I'll definitely grieve things when I lose them. I take mm -hmm. like, I take the time to be sad about mm -hmm. the things I can't do anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I have that, I need to be in bed for a day or, and, cry it out. And then I'm like, okay, I've grieved it. Time to move on. Keep living. You know, I just, that's how I like to see things is just keep going. Yeah. Okay. I feel like from the day you're diagnosed with ALS, you're grieving. You're grieving about all these things that you already lost, that you're going to lose. And it's so much, it's so heavy, like mentally, it's so taxing. And how do you handle that? Day to day, um, how explicit can we get? I think <laughs> I smoke weed for my pain management and sometimes my mental health. Yeah, there are days where I'll go, I'm way too down and it's way too dark in my head, and a sativa will lift it away in a sense and allow me to think clearly instead of so dark and weary and thunderstorm me yeah now that that i'm home 
I forced myself out. Um, my mom will tell me, you've been in here for four days, go outside. Mm -hmm. And I won't notice those things depending on how sad I'm feeling. I won't know that I've been in here for four days. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, have I? I'm like, yeah, maybe you're right. Let me stick my toe in the sun mm -hmm. and see what that'll do. But I do, that is something I tell people all the time that we grieve every single day, mm -hmm. if not every month. For, for me, every few months, I lose function in something. Mm. And that constant grieving is and trying to find a new way to deal is hard mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. even knowing that you're going to lose something I don't know what I'm going to lose so I don't know how I'm going to grieve it yet mm -hmm. yeah I think I think this the sooner you can come to terms with what you've got the easier it can get in my eyes mm. so it is what it is we don't know what's around the corner in terms of medication, cures, dare I say. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. That's the way I look at it. I think it sounds quite flippant. Mm. I think some people will focus on, I've got this, I've got to pre-plan everything, and I've got to do this as time mm. goes on. Mm -hmm. I think if you just take one day at a time, like I said earlier, don't put anything off for like the next week or month or, or years mm -hmm. just take one day at a time and and try and be I don't know I mean again I'll, I'll here in the UK everyone in the MND community says stay strong be positive mm. and I don't know if that's the same over where you are but it mm. it's true if you stay strong and be mm -hmm. positive I think it definitely helps you mentally mm -hmm. and then that filters down physically so like we said it earlier, when you're stressed yeah. or anxious, all your symptoms suddenly get worse. You know, yeah. mine, mine for sure. Twitching gets worse, any, yeah. anything. But even like today, I knew that I had the phone call today with yeah. you guys. And I was like, oh, my right arm's twitching like really, really bad. Like he's never done mm -hmm. that for a while. And it's mm -hmm. just it's just life now, isn't it? But I think, yeah, if, if, if you come to terms with what you've got, I think it becomes a bit easier. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's how I would deal with it. Yeah. In community and Ashley and Mira, I know being a part of her ALS story in community is so helpful for you guys. Okay. Um, go on. It's a bright light. I'll tell you that. <laughs> they've seen the worst. I feel like they've seen, they've heard the worst of my of my days and also the good days. So it is a bright light. Yeah. They're incredible. Yeah. Mira, here's a question for you. What's your biggest wish right now besides a care for ALS? I think my biggest wish would be that the world would be a lot more normalizing of accessibility. Um, just because I just, you know, like I just feel like mm. I just want everyone to be same. I, I, I don't like when a restaurant's upstairs and I can't get to it. You know, I wish that the world mm -hmm. would just make everything accessible because then everyone can go, not just people who can walk upstairs or, you know, I just, I think that that would make living with a disability a lot easier is if it was normalized instead of 
like this weird thing, you know, I, yeah. I think that would be a huge, wonderful thing. Well, and I think it's getting there. I mean, this conversation right now, which is why we're talking for so long, turning it into two parts, your willingness to be so open and honest about ALS is exactly what's going to get us to that point. You know, it's not easy. It takes courage and time and energy. So know that you are already a solution to that problem. You know, you're getting us there. Okay, to everyone, how would you finish this sentence? ALS has opened my eyes to blank. ALS has opened my eyes to how inaccessible New York City is. Mm. The train stations are impossible to navigate. Mm. There are restaurants up in the sky and not literally in the sky, like the stairs. Yeah. Oftentimes elevators don't work. Sometimes a handicap button is out of reach, which is weird. <laughs> Why I'm five <laughs> three. Why is the handicap button six two? Mm. And that's a battle that I'm using the voice that I have now to really put out there. I've got a, a positive answer and a negative answer. Okay. If you want to hear both. Yeah. So ALS has opened your eyes to what? How slow research and development is, especially here in the UK, mm. for treatment. Mm -hmm. It's a It's an eye-opener, especially when you look at how quickly they created a covid jab mm. and all of a sudden it's available to everyone mm -hmm. and i don't know whether it's the same in in the us but mm -hmm. in the uk i don't think there's been a new drug for at least 25 years mm. and you think why what it's just it's eye-opening thinking you know then then you think to yourself Oh, there's a bit of controversy here and you sort of dwell on it and you think you know it's all to do with finances or money and things like that um mm -hmm. but then you do hear from you know uh, organizations especially here um that i'm i'm connected with and there are definitely things progressing mm -hmm. it's just not progressing quick enough i think <laughs> mm -hmm. right. um yeah but the more positive thing I'll, we'll forget the negative side of things but it's mm -hmm. it's um I suppose it's another motto, I think, is uh, focus on what you can do, not what you can't do. Yeah. So that's uh, to answer the question again and just yeah. focus on what you can do now rather than what you can't do or what you used to what you used to be able to do. Yeah. 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 Mira, did you have something? Yeah. I think it's really opened my eyes to how big a difference that like the word of mouth and awareness can make is mm -hmm. everyone knew what COVID was because it was a huge pandemic. And so they were able to figure out a vaccine in like, I don't know, a year, uh, something crazy, something super short. I feel like awareness is incredible in like putting this disease in front of people so that something happens. And mm -hmm. um, I haven't, I don't know too much about the research, but I do know that like, people's voices have pushed some of our treatments 
to go through faster. And so I'm learning this by my group, the Hura ALS story. They're, they're opening my eyes to how big a difference they're making because I'm still coming out of my little shell. I haven't made too big of a awareness difference, but I'm trying. Uh-huh. But, but yeah, it's really opened my eyes to how important it is. And so. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Huge. Yeah. And especially all of you who are young, you know, because that gets attention. That gets someone's attention to say, damn, that that's terrible. You know, when we talk about our veterans being twice as likely to get ALS, that gets someone's attention because we obviously have such a heart for our precious veteran. So, yeah. Okay. A couple more questions. You guys are doing great. All right. This is to everyone. What gives you the most hope that a cure will come? And what's one thing that you would want people to take action on? And it can be simple. It can be sharing this episode. It can be tell someone what ALS is. It doesn't have to be big and detailed. Just what gives you hope that someday a cure will come? And how do you want people to help? Spread awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Just spreading awareness in general, saying to someone else what it is. Yeah. Tell them about Mira. I know this beautiful young lady that lives, has her brother living with her that is amazing. And she has been dealt this fatal disease that doesn't have a cure. And how can you help her? Like, yeah. Yeah, to be to be fair, yeah, I, I, I would have said the same if I was honest. Um, mm-hmm. Spreading awareness, and it and it's for that awareness that's been voiced that, for me personally, has helped in terms of, um, for example, I'm, I'm I call it future proofing my house. So I'm I'm getting <laughs> some renovation, <laughs> getting I some like renovations that. done, um, and because of the awareness, especially with social media, like. Mm-hmm it's not that long of year, it's not that many years ago that social media wasn't around so you, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be able to voice it as much but thank god for it because if yeah. it wasn't for that you know i've got people that have are more acquaintances than friends and have come out the woodwork and said mm. you know i'll help you with x y and z in terms of doing things in your house and things so um mm-hmm. yeah spreading awareness is is definitely up there yeah actually um I get emotional when I when someone asks about hope anything. Um, I try not to, in in all truthfulness, um, do I try not to hope, but in a very personal, open and honest answer, mm-hmm. my nephew gives me a lot, a lot of hope. He's only four, mm-hmm. but um, he's so kind. I feel like it's unheard of of a four-year-old to to be this kind. Mm-hmm. But he'll run up and go, Titi, no, no, you don't have to do that. I know you can't open it. Or mm-hmm. I'll get it, I'll get it. And those are things like looking at mm-hmm. being a retired, I guess, special education teacher, mm-hmm. looking at what the future has. I'm very confident that the generation that's coming right behind us will figure it out Mm. i think their tenacity is something different and 
their level of spreading awareness is unmatched. <laughs> my high school kids are, I can tell them, Miss Rivera is struggling with how heavy this door is. And I'm sure if I complained enough about it, they would get each and every door in that school changed. Just because their voices hold so much weight, I feel if they want something changed, they'll make it happen. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that spreading awareness, making the younger generation or the people that are coming up behind us aware of what we're going through gives me hope because I know if I can't do it, they'll get it done one <laughs> way or another. That's all we can do, isn't it? It's just yeah. spread awareness. We can't force a situation to happen that yeah. can't happen yet. Yeah. Exactly. It will happen. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Future planning, the future renovations right now. And your personal story, my personal story, our voices are the ones that can really make change. So, Mir, I know you're kind of just seeing that, but it's true. Like, it makes a difference to hear it from someone that's living with it every day. So, Okay, I have one last question. You guys have been amazing. So, so good. So I really appreciate all of your time. This has been great. Okay, so Mira, what are you dying to tell us? I'm dying to tell you that you should treat everyone equally. You have no idea what someone's going through. You do not know what's happening to them internally. Everyone should be treated with kindness and respect, no matter what. Mm, yeah, I love that. Ashley, what are you dying to tell us? I am dying to tell you that I'm very grateful for being here and for you introducing me to a gentleman like James. Mm. I don't know many men with motor neuron diseases or ALS, so I'm very thankful for that. Mm. And I'm just dying to tell you that this was great. Hmm. I can't wait to to (laughs) hear the rest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. James, when are you dying to tell us? Oh, let me just cool myself down. I'm blushing now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am dying to tell you that you should live life to the fullest, no matter what disability or barrier you have if you want to do something do it mm-hmm. don't dwell on it mm. life is short with or without a disability or a disease yeah so i am dying to tell you to live life to the full oh thank you all i just fell in love with you guys over the last two hours <laughs> Oh, thank you. I love you all so much. This has been great. I'll do the heart sign if I could. That is how I'll do half the heart. Join join heart. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm I'm really going to miss you guys. I just like, I don't even want to leave. I know. It's been good, isn't it? Well, we'll do it again sometime. Yeah. Okay. We'll do it again. It's been amazing meeting all of you. Thank you so much. You too. Okay. All right. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Oh, wowza, wowza. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I really enjoyed 
my chat with the three of them, Ashley, Mira, and James. Thank you all so much for hanging in there, (laughs) talking for over two hours, answering questions that have come in from the listeners, and doing an amazing job of sharing more about ALS and specifically how it affects young people who are diagnosed with this fatal disease that doesn't have a cure. Thank you for being so willing, so open and courageous. It means so much. Thank you. And thank you all for tuning in. If you are just catching the second part of this chat, if you missed the first part, go on back. It's episode 77. You'll hear a little more about their backstory in the beginning and then different discussions around other questions that had come in. Hey, if you like this episode, I release new stories of inspiration on the second and the fourth Tuesday of each month. If you want to follow, stay connected, you can find me pretty much everywhere on social media at I'm Dying to Tell You podcast. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and even TikTok. You can find me there. Okay, until next time, know you are loved and not alone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to our mom. Make sure to visit her website at imdyingtotellyoupodcast.com where you'll find photos and show notes about this episode. If you liked the show, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. Thank you.